0: All right, Hebrews 13, over the last eight months, there's been a super popular podcast within the church world called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, extremely well-produced podcast by Mike Cosper and Christianity Today about this fast and amazing growth of this church plant in Seattle and that was planted in 1995, that from 1995 to 2012 exploded on the scene and really was influential in many parts of the church world. Um, that reached a peak around 2012, or around 20,000 members, about f- 15 campuses in a half a dozen states. And then from its peak in 2012 to December 2014 when it closed its doors and no longer existed. There's a lot that we've learned from that podcast. Um, Mark Driscoll, the founding pastor resigned in November, October of 2014. That's what kind of led to the church closing its doors right before he probably was going to be terminated for repeated cases of bullying, intimidation, this ongoing, unhealthy, toxic culture of leadership in the church. It's an insightful listen, like 12 to 16 hours is super long. It sparked a ton of reflection and conversation, especially for for people like us, because one of the things Driscoll was known for was church planting, and he founded this church planting network called Acts 29 that we happen to be a part of. Uh, leadership in that network that removed him from leadership eventually when his unhealthiness became known. It's important to reflect and learn on lessons of unhealthy church leadership when you come to a passage like Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. If you're asking church members to submit and follow the leadership of a pastor or pastors of a local church, it's really important we understand the context of this command or this verse could be used to create very unhealthy church leadership structures and cultures. So today we're in our second to last sermon in the book of Hebrews, looking at verses 17 through 19. Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything, and I urge you all the more to pray that I may be restored to you very soon. We could divide this passage uh, into instructions to church members and instructions to church leaders, and that's kind of how we're going to walk through this passage. So first, church members, obey your leaders and follow their leadership. And I chose to put my points on the slide, I don't typically do that, because I wanted you to see the asterisk next to the very first point that's also in my notes. A really important caveat to this instruction that comes directly from the context of the surrounding verses, and it helps pastors and churches keep this exhortation in a healthy place, and it not become a verse that turns into a theological two-by-four that can be used to beat the sheep, into doing whatever the pastor or pastors wants to do. Like we know from the consistent testimony of scripture that obey your leaders doesn't mean the same thing as obey God and his commands. But what does it mean? When does this apply? When does this need to be ignored? We saw, let's look at the context. We saw a few weeks ago, the writer of Hebrews start this section in verse seven by referring to leaders in the past. When he says, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. And we walk through how, given the context of Hebrews, that's more than likely leaders that they've already had, who have already died, so they've got the full testimony of their life to to examine, probably persecuted like they were facing the threat of persecution, maybe even died as martyrs. Notice, remember those leaders you've had, they've finished their race, and all the way to their final breath, they kept the faith. They proclaimed God's word to you, and they lived a life that was consistent. So it's, it's so real, it's so consistent, it's all the way to the end that we could say, imitate them. Do what they did. Finish your race breathing out the name of Jesus as the one who saved you all the way to the very end. Remember them. They spoke God's word. Their focus was on Jesus, verse 8, is the same yesterday, today, and forever, they lived in a way their faith was intact all the way to the end, so Hebrew Christians struggling to keep your focus on Jesus, struggling to stay faithful to Jesus until the end, your leaders did it so you can do it, by keeping your eyes on the Jesus they proclaim, fixing your eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 12.1, Hebrews 12.2, the Jesus they followed, not turning to verse 9, false teachers or false teachings like food regulations or dietary laws, in fact as we saw last week, Jesse walks us through. We have an even greater reason to persevere into the end, no matter how much suffering we face, because it's, who's, it's who Jesus is, it's what Jesus did by going outside the camp and suffering for our sins. Jesus, the foundation and focus of our life, He chose to go outside the camp to suffer and die, to take on our sinful punishment, to take on our shame, to take on our separation from God, because we are sinful. This is what we celebrate this week, Holy Week, that this actually happened in time and place, that our faith is not in this whimsical, mysterious figure that we've concocted, that our faith is rooted in historical reality. There was a week like this week in a faraway land, Palestine, Israel, whatever you want to call it, a man named Jesus from Nazareth was illegally arrested and tried and executed outside the walls of Jerusalem, probably between 26 and 34 AD, around early April, the time of the Passover. And three days later, something happened that forever changed his followers from those hiding in fear to those boldly proclaiming to their death, He's not dead, He's alive and we believe the best explanation is exactly what the bible records he was in fact alive and his death and life sparked a movement that has turned the world upside down in the first century and ever since this is the one who's gone outside the camp the writer of hebrews has written about after talking about this incredible act of sacrificial love by jesus the writer comes back to the leaders in verse 17 and says obey them and submit to them well We say, no problem, we're Americans. We wake up every day asking for rules to follow and people to just blindly submit to. We love submitting to people as Americans. It's in our DNA, right? No, it's not. Part of the reason is we've been burned. Leadership has failed. Another part of the reason is we love our self-determination. We don't like being told what to do. There's so much about this verse that conflicts with how our culture is wired. And so the exhortation to obey leaders and submit to their authority only makes sense to us as those leaders are proclaiming and pointing their people to Jesus. So much so that to follow their leadership would lead someone to also follow Christ. It's not said in this passage, but it can be inferred from this passage and other passages in the New Testament when leaders quit proclaiming the Word of God or their lives are so inconsistent that it no longer is obvious that they believe what they are proclaiming. Well, then it's time to get new leaders, or at least it's time to have hard conversations with those leaders. We know from other New Testament passages leaders can go astray. Paul warned of this in Acts 20 in his farewell address to the Ephesus, the Ephesian elders. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Galatians 1.8. But even if we, if someone like Paul, an elder, a teacher, an apostle comes along, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. 1 Timothy 5 gives... Ground rules for dealing with uh, leaders that fail. Don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. Publicly rebuke those who sin so the rest will be afraid. There's a a special way to carry out discipline against one of the leaders of a local church. 1 Peter 5, 2-3, shepherds God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. The, the positive things, yes, we want to be that. The negative things happen as well in the lives of people. And so Crossing Church, if that's ever us, please see that individual leader. Please see that individual elder and have a discussion with that person. And if he refuses to listen to you, then go see the other elders and Discuss the concerns that you have that you've seen in his life. It's not fun. Nobody looks forward to this. But it's absolutely necessary. Absolutely necessary. If the church is going to be the church and maintain our public witness as a visible representation of Jesus and his kingdom in the world, if our leaders aren't faithful to God and his word, if our leaders aren't striving to live out a consistent and public life of following Jesus then this whole thing called the crossing church is in peril. The Church of Jesus Christ is not in peril because that's He's building that, He's going to establish that. It's nothing's gonna fail at the gates of Hades are not gonna come against the Church of Jesus Christ. But individual local churches will have their lampstands removed, will rise and will fall if there's a failure in leadership, if they're no longer proclaiming the gospel, if it gets really toxic. If you see one of your elders or a guy in the process to become an elder publicly berating someone in a store, or a restaurant, a place of business, aggressively demeaning someone on social media, acting unethically on their job, not loving or caring for their wife and kids in gracious ways, or anything else that would call into question their emotional or spiritual health, we, the church, need to know and we need to consider if this person needs to continue in this role of leadership, if they need a break, a sabbatical, if they need time away, if they need to be removed from leadership permanently. So there can come a time and place when we don't obey leaders or follow their authorities, but we actually call them into question. But if the converse is true, if we are preaching faithfully God's word, if our lives are bearing a level of consistency to the reality that we believe in Jesus and his gospel to save, then there is a responsibility on members to follow the leaders God has given them. This submission or following is not in an unhealthy way, this emotionally dependent or you see elders as this authority in your life that is not a good authority. So our voice never becomes more important than God's voice. I would even say our voice doesn't become more important than every other human voice. We're a voice. That's part of the entire body of Christ that can speak into issues in your life. So you don't have to come to your elders or pastors to have them make every decision for you, what kind of car to drive, what kind of job to work, where you should live, what house to buy, what toothpaste to use. Those unhealthy things happen. I've seen it. It's really bad. We don't want to put leaders on pedestals and depend on them to make every decision for us. But we do follow the leadership as they lead us to follow Jesus. This is part of the beauty of For instance, as to why we have plurality of elders, which we believe is how the New Testament clearly portrays the elders in the early church. Elders are always referenced in the plural in the New Testament. This is why we share the pulpit so much, so we don't become overly dependent on one voice. We have multiple voices that are speaking God's truth to us, multiple styles of speaking. This is why DNA is supposed to be three to five people, because we don't want to create overly dependent relationships between each other, like a mentor and protege. But it's the the plurality, the body of Christ speaking into our individual lives. Missional communities are sent out in community. Just as Jesus sent out his followers in pairs. Because we're not good alone. We need community to shape us. The body of Christ, serving the body of Christ so no individual is elevated over another. What we strive for as a church is for us to live life in gospel communities with others so we can be shaped by the gospel being applied in the community of our lives. Being in shared community, having to work with others, consider others, serve and sacrifice for others is really, really good for our sanctification. It forces us to see and know other people don't exist to serve me, but I'm actually here to serve them. I'm in a healthy place as an individual. I'm pursuing Jesus, loving Jesus, following Jesus. Okay, now, Jesus, how do you want me to use all this goodness that you've done in my life to serve others, to give my life away for others? How can I arrange my life to consider others? So we as leaders, elders, will continue to exhort you, be actively engaged in the community of God's people in real, tangible, vibrant ways. Yes, when we gather on Sundays, absolutely but also within mission communities who regularly gather to pray, learn, strategize for mission, and celebrate life together. Also in DNAs where we go deeper, men with men, women with women. So if you are a member of the Crossing Church, if you are a prospective member of the Crossing Church, and you're not actively engaged in those places, then we will lovingly, graciously, but firmly exhort you, obey your leaders, and follow our leadership. It's not healthy for you to be alone. It's not healthy for you not to have to serve and give in the context of Christian community. If there are barriers, if there are struggles, we want to talk about that, but we believe this is where discipleship happens, the gospel applied in community, transparent, authentic community. That's just one example of how verse 17 can look. As the leaders are following you to follow, follow Jesus in this way, in community with the gospel, then You are saying, yes, I believe that's important too, and I arrange my life to make that happen. I don't just dismiss it because I have other things to do. So, church members, as your leaders proclaim Jesus and live a life consistent with the gospel, follow their leadership. Obey and submit to where and how we are leading you to follow Jesus. Secondly, for us as elders, we keep watch over the souls of members with seriousness, because as the passage says we will give an account so keep watch over be alert be diligent be awake the language is not we're watching over your souls uh like we have this clipboard well you know check that was good x that wasn't good and we're just keeping tally of where you're at in life the language is watching on behalf of for the sake of we watch on behalf of or for the sake of your souls This is part of the reason there are qualifications for elders and pastors that don't exist for other members. 1 Timothy 3, 1 Peter 5, Titus chapter 1. Because, James chapter 3, we want brothers and men who understand the seriousness that goes along with this role in the local church. It should not be entered flippantly or taken lightly ever. Ever. James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, because we know that you will receive a stricter judgment. There's more accountability for guys who step into this role. I remember hearing a sermon once about the role of leadership God's given men in a home and that if something's going wrong in your home and if God were to come to your home to check out, hey, what's, what, why is this off? And he were to knock on the door, the first person he would ask for would be the husband, the father. Because that's the role of leadership God has given men in the, in the local house. That doesn't negate the responsibility of the wife or the mom or the children who are old enough to make moral decisions. And they're held morally accountable. But it places that role, that weight of leadership on the husband or the father. That he should take it seriously. And I remember early in the days of marriage and parenting, I, that put a weight in a healthy way, a seriousness in a healthy way on me that I need to take this seriously. Also put a rock under me. This is my role. Care about this. Arrange your life. Arrange your time. Arrange your gifting in a way to ensure that your wife and children are thriving as individuals in every area of life. Not in a domineering, bossy way, but with a servant's heart. How can I use what God has given me, time, talents, energy, abilities, to help serve Jennifer and the kids so they will be in a healthy place. A healthy father and husband is never ordering his wife and kids around so they would just march to the beat of his drum. He's always serving and giving away his time, his energy, his giftedness so they will live their lives in step with Jesus. And it's the same in a local church. Elders and pastors give away their time and energy and giftedness so others will thrive with Jesus, which helps us not lead for self-fulfillment. The people of the crossing don't exist to grow our personal platforms, our personal wealth, our personal desires. You are the sheep of Jesus, just like we are. In this season of life, you are who God has given us to lead and feed and protect and care for. And we do that knowing that at the end of the day, we are going to stand before Jesus as one of the elders of the crossing church and we will give an account. How well did you care for our sheep, my sheep? How well did you lead my sheep? How well did you protect my sheep? How well did you feed my sheep? This is very serious, very weighty. It is a responsibility we don't take flippantly. Now that doesn't neglect your individual responsibility to feed yourselves, care for yourselves and so forth what we're striving for is to ensure you're doing that well and if you're not we're in your life so much that we can see warning signs dashboard lights are going off and we can come alongside of you and we can say what's what's going on where are you at this doesn't look healthy what do you think do you think this is healthy if someone else were living their life with jesus like you're living your life with jesus do you think they would be in a good place. If you saw someone else doing what you're doing, would you say they're healthy? Maybe you get mad and maybe you want to leave and find another church that allows you to remain anonymous. Just do what you want to do and show up on Sundays and check the Jesus box. We are in the Bible Belt South. Those churches are a dime a dozen. There's plenty of those. But what we hope is you have pastors who not only know your members but we know your joys and we know your struggles. And we take those seriously because ultimately the one who loves you the most and cares for your soul the most is the one who sent his one and only son from above to perish so that you would have eternal life. And he has sent us to carry this role of leadership out in your life for you to thrive and be well in life. That's what's that's what this keeping watch over your soul is all about, that you make it, that your faith is intact into the very end, that nothing you face in life will cause you to walk away from Jesus. Sickness will come, sorrow will come, temptations, distractions will come. We'll all walk through that. We'll all struggle. We all have blind spots of struggle we don't even see, and our desire as your pastor is to come alongside you personally or through the structures of community that we've put in place so that you are comforted, you are encouraged, you are challenged, and you are spurred on until the very end. So that in your final breath, God willing, you are calling out the beauty and the joy of Jesus. He is enough. Not even sickness, death, sorrow can take Him, take him away. Just like the writer of Hebrews intended, Hebrews 3, Watch out, brothers and sisters, so there won't be in any of you an un- evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly to the end, the reality we had at the start. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Your elders, your pastors desire to watch over you and help you care for each other. So this happens for every single member of the Crossing Church. That no matter what we face, we persevere. We make it. Our job isn't primarily to get you to make a one-time decision to follow Jesus, but to make a daily decision to follow Jesus through the mess of life. No matter what we face, Jesus is better. Jesus is enough. We will cling to him because he is holding me fast hebrews ten thirty nine. but we are not those who draw back and are destroyed but we are those who have faith and are saved we're not walking away from him and by god's grace we're gonna fight hell literally to make sure you don't either and do whatever it takes to help you persevere to the end your kids and all those that you know and all those that we get the gospel to in our city thirdly We work together so this can be joyful and profitable work and not miserable. Obey these leaders and submit, follow the leadership because they're pointing you to Jesus and his word. They're living this out themselves and do this because their job given to them by God is to keep watch over your souls. In fact, we will stand before God one day and give an account. The rest of verse 17 says, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. There can be joy for them and joy for you and you will profit and they won't grumble and gripe and complain so much. When we gather for elders meetings, one of the first things we always do is we celebrate God's grace. Where can we see God's grace clearly at work in the lives of our people? And with all the elders, elders meetings we've had for eight years now, there hasn't been one elders meeting where we haven't, couldn't just go on and on and on. When we take time to sit back and see the evidence of God's grace and the gospel penetrating the hearts of our people and transforming our people. There's just so much that we share, and it's the most encouraging time for us. Yes, God is at work in our people. We know that's true, but our people are responding. Yes, that brings incredible, incredible joy, much more than how many people show up at certain things, much more than than how much money was given or spent, much more than how perfectly a song was sung or a sermon was preached. Joy in Jesus is at work in the lives of our people. He is changing us. He is calling us to serve and sacrifice for others. He's giving us boldness for mission. He's sustaining us through some really hard days, and we get to be on the front row of all of that. In 3 John, verse 4, I have no greater joy than this. To hear that my children are walking in truth, John writes. Philippians two, fourteen through sixteen, Paul says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless and crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then Paul says, I can boast in the day of Christ, that I didn't run or labor for nothing a joy of boasting in Christ related to the people of God responding to the gospel of work in them. This is the great joy of being a pastor. Not that everything works out perfectly in your life, but that your faith in Jesus is intact and you are loving him and pursuing him no matter what. No matter what. It's easy to slip into grief and groaning, a lack of joy, Some of that can be our fault because we're struggling for our own joy. We're struggling to see Jesus. We're struggling to see him in all of his glory and beauty. We become distracted or we become apathetic. But in this context, that's not what he's referring to. There is a joy described here that's related to how we are leading, pointing you to Jesus, and how the church is following this leadership. And if we're leading well, then a lack of obeying and following that leadership can lead to a lack of joy in a presence of grief and groaning. And a pastor, an elder who's struggling for joy for those reasons will be unprofitable for you. It doesn't take much to, to kind of feel this. The elders are striving to follow Jesus. There's enough consistency for you to say, okay, they really do believe this. This is really their life. There's fruit they're proclaiming Jesus. They're spurring people on to believe and follow Jesus and treasure Jesus. And the people aren't following. Eh, you got something different? Maybe it will just go somewhere else. I don't really like what you guys are doing anymore. You can imagine how discouraging this would be. It's similar to parenting an older child. You're loving them. You're serving them. You're giving them truth. You're encouraging them. You're giving them goals to strive for, boundaries to live within. You're not exasperating them. You're not nagging them. You're not aggravating them. You're not putting unnecessary weight or burden on them. You're doing the best you can to love and serve them and lead them to health. But as they get older, they won't follow. As a parent, you just kind of hang your head. I, I, I don't know what to do. They're adults. They're adults. I can't make them. I can't make them love Jesus. I can't make them treasure Jesus as their greatest joy in life. They have to want it, it has to become their own. I can't move their heart. It's, it's incredibly grieving. If you've ever been in that place as a parent, you kind of inwardly groan. But together, there is great joy. One pastor wrote about this verse, joy is not something you can take for granted. It takes work to maintain joy in God. It is very much against our fallen nature that finds joy in all but God. We must be directed back to his all satisfying greatness over and over. That is what we leaders must do for each other and what we must do for our people. And is so important that even the people are commanded to help us do our work with joy. In other words, Our joy is incomplete without your help. You help us have more joy in Jesus by how you follow our leadership to follow Jesus. When this works like Jesus has intended for his church, leaders are motivated and full of joy even when it's hard, it's not a grind. There's joy and members profit because their leaders are pointing them to Jesus and together we're all going together in the same direction. That is... Far, far, far greater than any kind of financial remuneration or love offering or anything that people typically like to give pastors to encourage them. Far greater is the joy of people loving and serving and following Jesus. I posted on Workplace a while back how hard the last two years have been on pastors. Not, not just pastors, but certainly pastors. Every single denomination is seeing guys retiring early or quitting The frustrations and losses because of covid the political tensions of our day that have spilled over into the church the general disinterest and apathy that has infected our entire culture every single industry it seems is overworked overstressed worried anxious just trying to survive but the joy spoken of here transcends all of that because it's a joy whose source is jesus And no pandemic, no political idolatry, no wars or rumors of wars. Nothing stops Jesus from being Jesus. Nothing stops us from being the people of Jesus and doing his work. And so literally there is nothing on earth that can effectively keep us from experiencing this joy. Nothing. Like this is a promise of God. He says, do this and you will have joy and no one can take it away. Who's not in on that? Sign me up. That, that sounds like a good way to live. That's better joy than any new series that drops, or any new restaurant that opens or any of the other temporary things that we typically put far too weight on, far too much weight on to give us joy. Do you believe this? Do I believe this? Let's chase this together. Let's fight for it and figure this out. Lastly, fourthly, church members, pray for your leaders. The writer here has some specific requests that were particular to that situation the first request seems a bit more relatable to us verse 18 pray for us for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything pray for us for we are convinced we have a clear conscience apparently there were opponents or accusations that they weren't acting honorably or something that might cause them to have a muddled conscience So he says, pray for us that those things are not true and that we could stand before our people with nothing to hide. Pray for them to find rest and peace and affirmation of Jesus over these leaders. Times are hard. Situations are tough. Affirm them, Jesus. How you can pray for us. Affirm them. They're chasing the right thing. All these things can be discouraging to them, but their conduct is honorable. Their consciences are clear really wanting the right things for the right reasons, affirm them, encourage them along. I can tell you that's a great way for you to pray for the leaders of the crossing. One constant thing that we share with each other is how our Father continues to give us sufficient encouragement to move forward, day by day, week by week. And that encouragement comes from places that only the Spirit could orchestrate. I ran into a friend at a local gas station a while back, I had a long conversation with him next to the garbage can. Like, it's so weird. I'm so encouraged, and we're standing next to trash. Had just had a difficult, not fun meeting. This friend didn't know about it, but he said things in that conversation, unprovoked by me, that were just messages of dad, my father in heaven, to my heart. Yeah, keep doing this. You're not the worst at doing this. Keep going. There's good things happening. Conversation one Sunday with someone here in this room who took time to affirm so many ways in which the church has been using their life to grow their heart and their affection for God's mission. Jennifer and I shared with other Acts 29 pastors and wives at an event in, in January, We're probably seen as, we're, we've probably seen as much fruit outside of the crossing, fruit for God's kingdom, as we've seen inside the crossing in eight years, which is 1,000% okay with us. This is his church, not our church. This is his kingdom, not our kingdom. We're not in this to see how big we can make this. We're in this to see how he can use whatever this is to grow his kingdom in our region and to the nations. We're not in this to make ourselves famous and be fawned over. We're in this to make Jesus famous and to be adored. So pray for us to be affirmed that if what we are chasing is of him, then as that's happening, our motives and our consciences are clear, and we are encouraged to continue down this path. How can we get the gospel to as many people as possible in our area, to the ends of the earth and beyond? That's it. That's that's all we're after. There's no smoke or mirrors or bells or uh, whistles or lasers or lights. There's no magic show, no sleight of hand that we're after. Just seeing the body of Christ, disciples of Jesus, empowered, equipped, sent out to make disciples of Jesus in the everyday stuff of life for the joy of Jesus's people and so pray for us that we would continue down that path that our consciences remain clear and our conduct would remain honorable in everything help us stay in that place the second request is less relatable but it gives insight into this special relationship the writer had with these hearers verse 19 I urge you all the more to pray that I may be restored to you very soon whoever this is Paul, Luke, Apollos, someone else, he had been there and wanted to come back. And with a deep sense of longing and desire, he asked, pray that that happens. Not, well, if the Lord wills, it will happen. No fatalism. Don't have to pray, because if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. It's not, well, this request doesn't seem to be very important. It feels kind of selfish to pray for this. None of that. In fact, if you look ahead at verse 23, we'll look at next week, you see he fully expects to be with them soon and even have Timothy with them. And so some could say, why even pray for this? Well, this writer trusted that all requests could be presented before his father with a childlike faith that dad cares. And God is always able to move and act and intervene. And that nothing is too small or insignificant to ask for prayer. Also, he wanted to express his affection for them. I want to be back with you. I enjoy my time with you. I, I want to see you again. Nothing is too small or insignificant to ask for in prayer. How often do we not ask for prayer because we think the request is too small and not important or we think that we are too small and not important? And none of those things are our thoughts are how your Father in Heaven sees you or sees our request. So please pray, I urge you, to pray for this personal request. So Father, make our elders more vulnerable to share our personal needs with our people and ask for prayer nothing is too small you love us you care about us we love you we care about you let's be open and vulnerable about what we need make us all vulnerable enough and trusting enough to ask for prayer and to offer prayers honestly I wasn't looking forward to preaching this passage I knew it was coming you know months ago when we planned this out I referenced it in a bunch of sermons before, tons of sermons. I've referenced it, but I never dug into it. And kind of my surface take on it, in an unhealthy way, was it's going to be hard to preach a passage that's obey me, submit to me, follow me. It's a very unhealthy perspective on this passage. But once you dig in and you realize from the context and you understand the Scriptures the way they were written, you realize this is not just a blank check of obedience. There are conditions that I'm spurred on to pursue Jesus in my leadership. I have to own this individually and the leadership of our elders. We all have to be chasing after Jesus in order to lead in a way that calls all of us to also chase after Jesus. So let's do that together. And then let's experience his joy as we do that together. If you're here today and you haven't experienced this joy that only comes from knowing Jesus Christ and being redeemed by him then there's no better place to be than to be in a room filled with people who would love to tell you about who Jesus is and all Jesus has done to make you his own let's pray for these things father thank you so much for the gift of the local church this messy but beautiful creation that only you could come up with to operate and function the way that it does it's never perfect because it's filled with sinful people who still chase after sin sometimes and still struggle with idolatry and still struggle to say yes to Jesus as their greatest treasure. It's always messy, but in some mysterious, glorious way that only you could figure out, you are accomplishing your purposes through your people. You are building your church, and no one and nothing has ever or will ever stop that. So you have great desires for our health and well-being and for our mission and what we're pursuing in Monroe and West Monroe and Washita Parish, Louisiana, to the nations and everywhere in between. You want us to be part of proclaiming the goodness and the grace of Jesus. You have put the people that are part of the crossing, you have put us here not accidentally, coincidentally, but sovereignly. You have put the leaders in place that you want. You're raising up more, you're sending out more. And this is all part of your plan to accomplish your purposes in us and through us. And so we wanna say with everything that's in us this morning, we trust you. We trust you with the now, we trust you with the future, we trust you with what you're calling us to do. We trust that as we walk this out in obedience, there will be gospel fruit, there will be glory given unto Christ. We trust you with the health and well-being of our leaders, that you would protect us, that you, if we're straying, that you would bring us back, if our hearts are, the flame is flickering, that you would inflame it again, that you would protect our marriages, that you would protect our kids that we're parenting, that you would continually work so that our leaders are healthy and vibrant and strong, and you're also at work in the lives of your people for the same reasons in the same ways. So thank you, thank you, Jesus, that you are working the Crossing Church. Continue to do that in us and through us and do that, multiply that among all the churches in our area so that you're constantly reforming, refining your churches so that Jesus is seen and experienced and enjoyed by more and more people. I pray for anyone here that doesn't know you in this way that you would save them. They would not leave here today without speaking to someone but how they too can know Jesus. We ask all these things in his name. Amen.